Well, here we are. Ken, good to see you. How you doing, brother? Hey, thanks, Calvin. So it's interesting. Even though your board is closed, we can get across it. Look at that. <laughs> that's right. It's it's pretty well open this way. So that's good. Yeah, well, listen, good technology. Yeah. Yes, that's right. We had a fantastic morning. I was actually uh, monitoring some of the side chats from uh, from you speaking this morning. So for those who perhaps didn't know, um, we had you pre-record a very special talk specifically for Canadian churches um, just a little while ago. And we had several churches all across Canada, well, from BC to Ontario anyway, because most of our Eastern churches are, are open a little quicker than uh, in the other part of the country. And so we had 12 churches uh, do that presentation this morning. They had Ken Ham uh, in their pulpit, their virtual pulpit, so to speak. Very well received. People were pretty responsive. Uh, so, and uh, so we encourage people, of course, to uh, ask questions. So now we're on our AIG Canada Facebook page, um, AIG um, US Facebook page. We're on the YouTube channels as well. And so we're on several platforms here. People can tune in. And what we did is encourage people to ask questions they might have as they were listening to you. And so we, we've got several from this morning, and we're encouraging people that are watching live to, uh, to ask us questions uh, right, and have you uh, give us some answers. So anyway, how are things going at, uh, at the Creation Museum and, and the Urban County now that things are open back up? Uh, well, things are going very well, actually, and people are coming to the Ark and to the Creation Museum. It's great to see them every day. And, of course, because those facilities are so large and we have such large outside areas as well, uh, you know, right now, we're I think it changes, actually, uh, in, in the very near future. Uh, we were limited to one-third of our rated capacity. Well, we never even reached that even last year because we, we are rated to have tens of thousands of people to be able to come uh, to the Ark yeah. and to the Creation Museum. But also one of the things that we did as well was we have a special, until August 16, have a special afternoon ticket. If people have to come, they have to buy it online, uh, but after one o'clock, then they get a free meal. And uh, so what it does is it distributes all the people throughout the day and it's just like a trickle all day long. So it enables social distancing and all of that. And uh, we haven't uh, had any problems to date, which we praise the Lord for and right. pray that continues. So it's been exciting to see. I'm so glad we could reopen and impact lives. Now we can't reach Canadians right now, except over the internet, because I think your board is closed, but we've yeah. had a lot of Canadians, a lot of Canadians tell us when their board is open, they want to come down and visit the Ark and the Creation Museum. I mean, they're the two leading Christian themed attractions in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of people that uh, were planning on going just before uh, COVID hit, of course, and then that <laughs> derailed their plans, but a lot of people that still have plans to come down. So I'm just looking at uh, our AIG Canada Facebook page here, and I don't think we're live there yet. So um, anyway, hopefully that'll that'll pop up shortly. But uh, yeah, we did want to get into some questions, and uh, we had many, many people watching. I know uh, people were watching the, uh, the presentation very intently, um, but some people did give us some questions. So Let's just start with one, and then uh, hopefully we'll get get all of our technical problems sorted out, and we'll we'll continue. By the way, Calvin, just to let you know, um, we have yeah. confirmed that you are you are live on Facebook in Canada. In fact, we're already getting some comments through that as well. Really? Um, okay, there's somebody so some somebody who said looking forward to the border opening. Somebody else said we want to visit the Ark, open the borders. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, I can uh, I, we can see the, the the comments there as they come up on the live comments. So. But it is working. Hey, well, we had it. We had our our tech here confirm that. Well, there you go. I'm the one with technical difficulties. Hopefully, I'll sort it out soon. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get into some questions here for you, because um, that's why we're here. So, um, there's a question that came up in one of the chats just before uh, the church basically turned off. Uh, you know, their their messaging this morning. So, I don't have this written down exactly the way the person phrased it. So, forgive me, whoever posed this question, but. The gist of the question was basically this. How do you know, and there's a lot of interpretations of Genesis being taught out there in Bible colleges, seminaries, churches, pastors, etc. And basically the way the person phrased it was basically, how do you know that your interpretation of Genesis is the best or, or the correct one? So how would you answer someone that uh, asked you that? Okay. Well, I look at a couple of different ways, uh, Calvin. First of all, you know, I was interviewed on radio a number of years ago by a Presbyterian minister. And mm -hmm. the, Pres the Presbyterian minister 
uh, said to me, now, you must admit in the church we have different interpretations uh, because we're different denominations. And, you know, we have different uh, interpretations of baptism, you know, by immersion or sprinkling of um, eschatology, uh, pre-mill, armill, post-mill, treadmill, um, you know, windmill, whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, different views of speaking in tongues, those that say the gift is still available, those that say no, it finished. Yeah. Uh, and different views of the Sabbath day, those that say it's Sunday, those Saturday, those every day of the week, you know, and so on. And I said, okay, yeah, there's there's certainly different interpretation. Not everyone is right. We know that. But right. uh, And he said, and we have different interpretations of Genesis too. You know, there's gap theory, theistic evolution, local flood, day age theory, framework hypothesis, progressive creation, you know, all of those. And I said, yes. Yeah. He said, well, it's the same thing. So how do you, he said, why should you say your view is right? And I said, no, it's not the same thing. And this is what people need to understand. This whole issue in regard to Genesis is an authority issue. You know, right. in in our modern era, what the church has done is lost the foundational authority of uh, the Bible, particularly starting in the book of Genesis. You see, if you think about it, when you're arguing about, you know, eschatology or baptism or speaking in tongues, etc., you open up the Bible and you say, but the Bible says here, yeah, but over here it says this. Yeah, but over here it says this. Over here it says this. But the reason people have different interpretations of Genesis is because they say, um, I know it says six days, but 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 everything's millions of years. The scientists say millions of years. I know it says, you know, God took dust and made a man and he sighed and made a woman. But really, man came from an ape man and woman from an ape woman because, you know, we've got evolution and the scientists say evolution and and the, and the scientists say there never was a global flood. In other words, what they're doing is starting from outside of scripture taking man's belief about the past, and I would call it man's pagan religion about the past, because that's that's why Darwin really did what he did, was to try to come up with a way of explaining everything by natural processes without God. It's really the pagan religion of this age. And they're using that to reinterpret scripture. That's the key. So we're undermining the authority of the word of God. And we brought generations up in our churches because the majority of church leaders have said, you can believe in evolution millions of years, don't worry about Genesis, trust in Jesus. But when you have taught them, you can start outside of scripture with what man is saying and reinterpret scripture, then why shouldn't they do the same with marriage? Why shouldn't right. they do the same with gender, which they're doing? And so mm -hmm. you see, number one, you have to ask, are you getting what, are you doing what you're doing? What's your motivation? Is it that you're interpreting scripture with scripture or is it that you are starting from man's ideas and taking that to the Bible and reinterpreting it? See, when it comes to Genesis, if you interpret scripture with scripture, for instance, in Mark 10 and Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he said, haven't you read? He which made the beginning made them male and female. That's Genesis 1.27. And said, for this cause shall man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they'll be one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. In other words, Jesus quoted from Genesis as literal history to build the doctrine of marriage. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, Adam was the first man. In other words, there's only one man. You didn't have a race of men or, or you know, a number of different men to start with. There was only one man. Or Paul, you know, Romans 5.12, by one man sin entered the world and death mm -hmm. by sin. And so as you look there, and, and, and even when you go to Peter, you know, you, you look at uh, uh, Peter called, talking about the flood, and he says eight people survived. Well, you go back to Genesis, and what do you read? There are eight people you know, survive that event. And so when you interpret scripture with scripture, it's obvious you take Genesis as written. So there's the key. When somebody says to you, but Genesis doesn't mean this, are they starting outside of scripture? You don't get the, the idea of millions of years from scripture. You don't get the idea of ape-like creatures to people from scripture. You don't right. get the, you know, you, you don't get the idea of one kind of animal changing into a different kind from scripture. Scripture itself makes it clear that God made kinds according to their kinds. And so that's the key. And it really is an authority issue. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the favorite questions I like to ask people, Christians that have, you know, kind of bought into the secular geology, biology, all that stuff is what, what's the top three Bible verses that convinced you God used billions of years and evolution to create? And it's usually crickets at that point because there aren't any. <laughs> Right? So it's exactly like you're saying. They're always starting from outside of Scripture, and then they're trying to manhandle the Scripture to somehow, you know, make it comport or or something like right. that. But you know, and, and the question itself: well, How do you know your interpretation of Genesis is the best? I mean, 
think of what the church has given up um, by by taking all of these alternate positions. You've got you have to have death occurring before sin, and, and right because all the fossil record got laid down before Adam's sin. And even, you know, when people like Hugh Ross, uh, that I know you've dealt with several times, you know, tried to say, well, no, it was just, you know, animals that were dying before before the fall. Well, now we've got human fossils, almost 200,000 years old, that the secularists are saying are fully human that supposedly uh, died 200,000 years ago. So now, now you've got to include fully human people. I mean, if you're going to buy into their whole thing. So think of what the Christian church is giving up by not taking Genesis as, as plainly written. So, yeah. It's and, a, and, Calvin, and Calvin, let me add this. You know, in America right now, as people know, you, we have generations trying to erase history. I mean, right. knocking, down, knocking down statues and banning books from libraries, and so it goes on. Yeah. But you see, what has happened in the church? The church basically, by and large, not all the church, but certainly the majority, erased the history in Genesis 1 to 11. They said it didn't matter. You can believe in evolution. Who cares as long as you trust in Jesus? But you know that history in Genesis 1 to 11 is the geological, biological, astronomical, anthropological history that's foundational to all of our doctrines, to the whole of the rest of the Bible. You can't deal with racism until you believe and start with the foundational history in Genesis. We all come from one man and one woman, the account of the Tower of Babel, different people groups, so there's no different races, there's only one race. You can't deal with the gender issue unless you start from Genesis, where God said in Genesis 1.27, he made male and female for humans, only two genders, which science confirms, you know, with the XY right. and XS sex chromosomes in male and female. You can't deal with the issue of marriage and the gay marriage issue unless you start from Genesis to understand that God made marriage when he made Adam from dust and made a woman from his side in Genesis 2.24 tells us when God made marriage. So the Supreme Court justices in the United States didn't make marriage. No, other, no court in Canada made marriage. Yep. God did. God invented marriage. You can't deal with the abortion issue unless you start yep. with Genesis 1 to 11 and Genesis 1 27. In the image of God, God created man. No animals were made in God's image. Only man was made in God's image. And until we yep. understand that, we're not going to be able to deal with the abortion issue. So you see all those issues in our culture, the gender issues, the abortion issue, the marriage issue, the, the, the transgender you know, issue, the, the pedophilia issue, all those issues, they're all symptoms of the same problem. They're not different problems, they're actually all the same problem. And the problem is if you don't have the foundation of the authority of the word of God and your foundation is man determines truth, then ultimately anything goes. That's the battle that started in the garden 6,000 years ago. And that's the same battle raging before us today. And the church needs to wake up to that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the churches, you know, the, the churches that compromise with Genesis 1 to 11, now that we're seeing all these, and now you're dealing with it more than Canada, but we are as well. You know, now we've got racial tensions uh, rising up again. You've got all this uh, concepts of identity and gender and all these things. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple of years ago when Answers in Genesis Canada launched, and I won't get specific, but um, there was a, a fairly large church local uh, to me that I approached the pastor and said, hey, you know, we should we should have a, a conference. And uh, he was pretty excited. He, he wanted to bring up some of the U.S. speakers and, and he, he himself, you know, said he believed in the younger creation, et cetera. And when I followed up with him a week later, he said, well, you know, I've got one of my board members and he's a theistic evolutionist and it's going to cause some problems. And so we're going to go in a different direction for the conference. And I said, OK, you know, um, great. So um, what, what do you plan on doing? He said, well, you know, the, the hot topic right now is the, is the whole gender thing. So we're, we're going to talk, ta tackle that. And I said to him, Bob, um, what's your theistic evolutionary board member going to say when you have to quote Genesis? God created male and I mean, you can quote Jesus, but he's quoting Genesis. God created male and female. Wow, it's just really complicated. And that was the end of the phone call. And, and I just thought to myself, by the way, they didn't do that conference either because they probably, you know, they'd probably be pretty intimidating. Well, yeah, you know what? The problem is so many pastors have not been prepared to be bold, to stand up for the word of God. A lot of pastors I found in America are more worried about oh, we're going to cause division and some people won't support us and we're worried about our offerings and collection. You know what? We need to be worried about our stand on the word of God because we're going to stand before God and give an account of that. Teachers, uh, you will get a stricter judgment, it says in James 3, because uh, of, of the fact that we influence those people and 
And when, when the shepherds don't teach the sheep what they need to be teaching them, and the shepherds lead the sheep astray, they're going to answer before the Lord. And I'm, I'm telling and, and encouraging people, challenging pastors, church leaders, be bold and stand up for God's word. Why hasn't the church been leading the way in regard to racism? If they right. had believed God's word, they would have always been out there saying, there's only one race. We'll go back to Adam and Eve. We're, we're all sinners. We're all equal before God. And, and when people talk about what about all the injustices of the past, there's injustices all over the place and prejudice and racism. The greatest injustice was when we sinned against a holy God. And you know what? We can't pay reparations for that. He paid it for us. He died yeah. on the cross, raised from the dead. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, forgive others. Uh, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And, and that's how it should be. You see, the answer to all of the issues we have is to get back to God's word. But much of the church has been so intimidated by the world, they compromise God's word, haven't taught the word of God. And most churches, I, you know, I don't travel a lot in Canada, have done, you know, in years past. But yeah. I tell you what I see all across America and other parts of the world in Australia, most of the church, they see the exodus from the church, young people leaving the church, where the, the numbers of church attendance in the Western world have dramatically dropped uh, in the last few years. America, we're down to 18% for millennials and Generation Z are less than that. In England, it's down to 5% church attendance. Canada's about the same. Australia's about the same. It was much more in the past. And, and we look at all that and we're worried about the exodus from the church. You know how much of the church does? Music becomes the center. Don't get me wrong. I love music. But, you know, it, it's more that, Oh, we have a lot of music, teach, you know, uh, water down the teaching of the word, make it very shallow. Most of our Sunday school material is shallow fluff and stuff. And we wonder why we continue to lose them from the church. And whatever they're taught at school, they can believe that is fact, evolution, millions, it doesn't matter. Tell them about Jesus. But then they, they start to realize, and we did the research on this. How can you believe in a loving God? Look at all the death and suffering in the world. We, we taught them, oh, the death and suffering today has gone on for millions of years. That's okay. Just trust in Jesus. We haven't taught them answers to their questions, haven't taught them apologetics, and we're losing them. So we think entertainment is the answer. No, we need to teach the word of God. I don't care if you have an hour of music, but give me an hour of preaching time, an hour of teaching time. You know, I want equal time at least. And churches need to be teaching generations apologetics to defend their faith and teaching them to stand on the authority of the word of God and the foundational uh, nature of, of Genesis 1 to 11, then to understand what we believe, why we believe about marriage and gender and all these other issues, and, and then know how to communicate to others. Yeah, absolutely, brother. You know, I, I, I've been saying it for a while now. The church needs three things. You need apologetics training, you need evangelism training, and you need resources that can counter what the secular school system and the media is putting out. And that's why I'm so excited about the Answers in Genesis Canada ministry being launched because the Answers in Genesis ministry has a ton of resources that accomplish exactly what those three things are. So anyway, let's let's dig into another question here. Um, this one, uh, again, was from one of the churches that uh, you, you were speaking at this morning. And um, the question is, why do you think, I'm, I'm just going to read it verbatim here. Why do you think a good creation equals a perfect creation? God actually states it was not good for Adam. So I, I, I think you can kind of see the way they were coming at that, right. that direction. Yeah. Uh, that, that question. Now, by the way, I see a comment there. Someone said, I believe that young people don't believe the church is relevant. You know, and a lot of young people today don't see the church as relevant because the church hasn't given them answers. And it's just basically, you know, to spiritual and moral things and relationships and so on. And, you know, a lot of the modern day songs, you know, you sing the same verse 50 times and, and there's hardly any theology or no theology or wrong theology in it. Um, so it's good to be able to answer these questions. And, and that's what we're all about. You know, when God, when God was making uh, the world, uh, the universe, the earth and all life, you'll notice that it says at the end of, you know, the, those days, uh, the end of day one and the end of day three, when he prayed things and so on, the end of day four, and God saw that he had made and it was good. Now, when he made man and he made man from dust, right, he says, not good that man should be alone. In other words, he hadn't finished uh, creating man. In fact, it wasn't until after the end of the sixth day, it says God finished his work of creation. And it wasn't until after the end of the sixth day, he said, everything is very good. Now it was finished. And so there was a progression along the way. 
I mean, people could ask the same question. Well, on day three, he said, you know, he made the dry land and plants and he said it was good. Why didn't he say very good? Because it wasn't finished. So why did he say it's not good that man should be alone? Because the, he hadn't finished uh, doing what he needed to do. So what did he do? He got Adam to name the animals. And why did he name the animals? He named the animals to show that there was none like him. And that was the point of it. That's what scripture says, because there was no one made in the image of God. No ape was made in the image of God. I mean, he didn't look at a female chimp and say, she's close enough, I'll date her or something like that, right? And so yeah. then God put him to sleep and made the first woman, which is the first marriage. And that's when Adam said, she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. And actually, Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11 says, woman came from man, attesting to the historicity of Genesis, by the way. And then Genesis 2.24 says, um, and therefore, this is the reason a man is his father and mother and cleaves under his wife and there be one flesh. And then by the end of the sixth day, God said, now everything was very good. He completed his work of creation. He finished his work uh, of creation. So that's what that's referring to there. In context, it's very easy to see. Yeah, as a matter of fact, as you pointed out, it doesn't say at the end of the creation everything was perfect. It says it was very good because um, we know in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, we're not even going to be able to sin. Uh, that's not even going to be an option. So I would say that's much more of a perfected um, concept. And uh, But, I mean, Adam without Eve, there wasn't even the possibility to reproduce. So we wouldn't consider it right. a... A, a very good creation so that's well, great um next question here is pretty common <laughs> i'm actually going to be doing a uh, a live talk uh, for for the first time in three months i've got a church down in uh, uh windsor ontario that's having me come speak next sunday which is pretty exciting and i'm actually going to be doing uh, my version of the uh, one race one blood talk that i was first exposed to years ago um, I saw you do uh, your your uh, One Blood talk, and then I got the book by Dr. Charles Ware and, and, and yourself, and that absolutely blew my mind. I mean, it was so awesome to get, you know, my questions answered as a, as a pretty young Christian, especially coming from my background, uh, my atheistic background. You know, I always like to remind people that are, are kind of worried about, oh, you're going to take this young earth creationist stand and it's going to drive people away from the church. It wasn't until I actually stood up and oh believe in evolution what about this 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 and this and really put back my heels that i even respect christians enough to have a dialogue with them because i used to think they were a little wacky uh believing in in, in what i knew the bible said so anyway I, I like to encourage people yeah just just represent the scripture as it's plainly written they'll they'll respect you much more but anyway um it, this question relates to that whole uh topic of one race one blood um, something you hear a lot from uh, our stance, and it says, why is incest not considered a perfect uh, perfect and foundational in your understanding? Incest was, um, was foundationally good for Cain. So I think you're going to have to flesh out the whole question, where did Cain yeah. get his wife, well? and kind of answer that, uh, that hint. First of all, you know, let's get rid of all outside influences, all outside ideas. And by the way, understand the word incest is a modern word, right? There was no word incest before, what, the 13th century or something like that. There just was no such word. And we put a whole range of things under incest today, some of which have always been immoral, but not uh, marriage of close relatives. See, if you think about it this way, God made Adam and Eve. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says Adam was the first man. Genesis 3, 20 says Eve was the mother of all the living. So we know there's only one man and one woman. That's important to understand. Only Adam's race can be saved, right? Because uh, God's son stepped into history to be a member of Adam's race. He's called the last Adam to take the place of the first Adam. He died for the descendants of Adam. Now, when you look in Revelation, for instance, Revelation 14, 6, it talks about the angel giving the eternal gospel for every tribe, every nation, every language, all people. And then we know at the end of Revelation 2, it says uh, that one day standing before God's throne, clothed in white robes, uh, will be uh, a countless number, it says. And they have been redeemed from every tribe, every language, every nation, all people. In other words, it's obvious the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In other words, to all people. And so it's obvious there's only one race um, because we're all people, all nation, all language belong to Adam's race. That's why the gospel is for everyone. That's why 
any language, tribe, nation, anyone from there can be saved if they receive the free gift of salvation. So how do we explain all that? Very easy. God made Adam and Eve. And what is the doctrine of marriage? We already talked about it. One man for one woman, right? One man for one woman for life. That's what the doctrine of marriage is. It comes from Genesis, Genesis 2, 24, uh, in relation to the creation of man from dust, woman from his side, and so on. Jesus reiterates that in Mark 10 and Matthew 19. So Genesis 5, 4 says Adam had sons and daughters. So if marriage is one man and one woman, then originally brothers must have married sisters. Now, before anyone says anything, just think about this road, because people say to me, but you're not allowed to marry your relative. Well, when you get married, you marry your relative. If you don't, you don't marry a human. Then you've got a whole different problem, right? Uh, and don't forget, it wasn't until Leviticus 18 that God said no longer can close relations marry. And that was to the Israelites. And actually, different nations of the world today have different standards for how close that relationship should be in regard to marriage. But the principle goes back to Leviticus 18. And remember, Abraham was married to his half-sister. It wasn't a problem. So the point is, when you get married, you do marry your relative. Now, originally, we only started with two people. So obviously, close relatives, very close, brother and sister married, provided it's one man for one woman. That is no different than a man and woman getting married today, except in the closeness of the relationship, because we're all related to each other. Yes. And you see, the problem we got today is that because of sin, now, ever since Adam sinned, Adam and Eve's genes were perfect, but after that, because of sin, copying mistakes, mutations occur, and they get added up and accumulate generation after generation after generation. We have a big genetic load, a lot of mutations in our genes. And if you're closely related today and get married and have children, it's more likely the mistakes get together and expressed as problems in the offspring. That's why it's better to marry someone further away in relationship from you where one has a bad gene, the other has a good gene that'll mask it or override it. And so, you know, it's interesting. I had an atheist once when I was giving this answer on Christian radio and he called up and he says, I'm an atheist. And if you believe that, uh, he said, then, then that's immoral. I said, well, first of all, I said, you're an atheist. You can't accuse anyone else of being immoral. And what do you base your standards? And then he said, well, it's incest. I said, wait a minute. So one man for one woman for life, uh and and we're all related to each other that's incest what do you believe as an evolutionist you believe man evolved and women evolved and men evolved and you don't believe in marriage and you can have any relationship with anything and any what and whatever and there are no absolute standards i said now who's got the problem here <laughs> it's not the christian you have the problem but it's so important uh that that we give uh those answers and you know what, Kelvin? Uh, I was just because I'm monitoring the comments too here, yeah. and I saw I saw something here. It sort of relates to this issue in a way, but it relates to the creation of man and woman. Mm -hmm. There's someone who said, "I'm a high school science teacher. A lot of my students get upset about religion because of the unbalanced man-woman leadership." What do you say to that? Mm -hmm. Well, what do you mean by religion? Because evolution is a religion. There's no non-religious position, right? The Bible makes it clear. There's no neutrality. You're for Christ, against. You walk in light. You walk in darkness. And unless people start with God's word, I mean, who decides what roles a man should get or a woman should get? I mean, if they say they don't believe in God and they're in, say, a secular school and they say men have no right to do this, why? That's their subjective opinion. Or women have no right to do this, why? That's their subjective opinion. But you see, because God is the absolute authority, when he created man and woman and created marriage, he gave a specific role to men and fathers and husbands and specific roles to women. He gives specific roles to to men in the church and to women in the church. So the point is, as Christians, we start from God's word. We have an absolute authority to determine what those roles are. Now, because of sin, it is true. Sometimes men lord it over women despotically, and that's wrong. And so, and women want to usurp the authority of the man. The Bible makes it clear. In Christian homes, men are to be the spiritual head. A lot of times they don't take on that spiritual headship. So sin has caused all sorts of problems. But the point is, when somebody say, oh, religion is called all these problems, they usually mean by religion Christianity. But then they have a religion. What? There's no God. And then who determines what's right and wrong and what roles you should have? It's only Christianity that has a basis for saying, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and give specific roles to make things work the way that they're intended. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. There has to be a standard, a moral standard, an absolute standard in order to even have a right or wrong, correct or non-correct. And there's a good brother here in uh, in Canada. He's an apologist and a, a debater, uh, Mr. Joe Boot. I think I've mentioned him to you before. And so we're, we're going to get you guys connected at some point. Uh, he wants to take his family down to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. And uh, Joe, as he's debating, uh, he's a he's a biblical creationist as well. Um, when he's debating atheists, his opening statement is, I'd just like to thank my opponent for showing up here tonight, because in doing so, he's proving me correct. And what he's getting at is in a debate, you have to figure out who's right and who's wrong, who's correct and who's incorrect. And the only way for there to be a right and wrong is that if there's an absolute transcendent uh, you know, moral lawgiver. And so here's the, this atheist coming to uh, debate him and say that Joe's um, worldview is wrong but he doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Anyway, I, I noticed that uh, that question as well. We, we kind of uh, skipped ahead, but that's great. Thanks for that answer. Uh, here's another one we received from this morning. Um, and uh, the person said, well, young earth creationism and flood pretend geology. So I guess they're not uh, very um, on board with the message, but anyway. Young Earth creationism and flood pretend geology are recent Seventh-day Adventist doctrines. Why should they be considered the best interpretations of either scripture or nature? What would you say to that? Yeah. Well, you know what? When I was uh, uh, a young person, a child, uh, I was brought up to believe in a global flood because my father believed God's word in Genesis had nothing to do with Seventh-day Adventist doctrines. Uh, nothing at all to do with that. Now, it, it is true. Uh, there, there, there was a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist called McCready Price who wrote about the flood. Uh, but, you know, and I've seen that particular book. But, you know, my father had never seen that book. I'd never heard of that book. When I was brought up as a child, my father taught me from the scriptures, you know, a flood that covered the highest hills under the whole of heaven. In fact, after the global flood of Noah's day, God said, when you see a rainbow, He's going to make that a sign of a covenant between God and man and God and the animals that he'll never repeat such an event again. Well, we've seen lots of floods since. Uh, we've seen some massive floods. But what we haven't seen since is a global flood. And uh, so, no, it didn't come from Seventh-day Adventist doctrines. There may be Seventh-day Adventists who believed in a global flood. Actually, when you go back and look at the church fathers in history, I mean, before the uh, 1700s, 1800s, the majority of church fathers believe in six literal days and a flood that covered the entire earth, uh, the global flood uh, of Noah's day. And, you know, Second Peter 3 even refers to that, the world that then uh, was perished. And only eight people, we read in uh, another passage in Peter, only eight people uh, that survived that flood. In fact, uh, in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, uh, it, God actually states there for us that from the three sons of Noah and their wives, all the people of the earth came. So there are only eight people that survived on that ark. And then the three sons of Noah and their wives gave rise to everybody. So there weren't other people. It tells us that all life on land, all life on the land, uh, all land-breathing, air-dwelling animals died. Only those kinds represented on the ark survived. I mean, you could look at all... Of, of the language there in, in Genesis um, uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, it makes it very, very obvious this was a global flood. And as I said, my father taught us that right from when we were born, so to speak, uh, because he went, taught the scriptures. Yeah, it's interesting that even with my atheistic background growing up, I had never read the Bible, but I'd heard enough about the Bible to understand that it taught that there was a global flood. <laughs> so, I mean, that's someone even outside the church, and I, and I certainly wasn't influenced by a specific Seventh-day Adventist uh, point of view. And, um, of course, it's a bit of a fallacy anyway, because um, I, I think what the person was doing is they're saying, well, they don't agree with some Seventh-day Adventist doctrines, and if they believe that, then it's kind of like poisoning the well somehow. But as you said, the church fathers, the reformers, most of the... Uh, um, the Christians uh, of the past believed in a, in a global flood because that's what the Bible plainly says. So. Well, certainly John Calvin did and Martin Luther and, and uh, of course, before them as well. You know, it's interesting, um, the rest of that question said, you know, why should that be considered the best interpretation of either scripture or nature? Yeah. Well, um, when you look at nature, how do you interpret nature? You, you know, 
God has revealed to us in his word the history that's occurred to enable us to have the ability to interpret nature in the right way. Mm -hmm. We can't just look at nature independent of God's word. I mean, the Bible says in Romans 1, God makes it evident to all that he's a creator. But that's all. We can know that there is a, a, a creator behind the universe. There's an intelligence behind it. But to understand the details of what's happened in history, you can't just look at the rocks. I mean, you can look at fossils all over the earth and look at those layers. Um, but knowing that there's been a global flood, when you go out there and then look at it, you say, wow, that makes sense. If there was a global flood, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And you do. The other aspect of that is something you said earlier, and that is the Bible makes it very clear, death, disease, suffering is a consequence of sin. You know, Romans 8 says the whole creation groans because of our sin. The whole creation groans. When you look in the fossil record, if you're going to believe in the millions of years, I mean, the idea of millions of years uh, really came out of atheism and deism of the uh, 1600s, of the 1700s and 1800s. People want to explain everything, including the fossil record by natural processes without God. And many of the uh, church leaders took that and added that into the Bible and reinterpreted the flood as a local flood or the days as long periods of time, whatever it is. But when you look at the fossil record, it's not just a record of death. It's also got evidence of diseases like cancer in the bones. There are fossil thorns said to be hundreds of millions of years old. There's evidence of animals eating each other, bones in their stomachs. But you read scripture. Originally, before sin, the animals were all vegetarian and so was man. We weren't told to eat meat until after the flood in Genesis 9.3. If you look at scripture, thorns came after the curse. How can you have thorns millions of years before sin? And if you look at scripture, the whole creation groans because of because of our sin. If you look in the fossil record, you see diseases like cancer. Wait a minute. After God created everything on the sixth day, he said everything was very good. If you believe in millions of years, he said cancer is very good. No, this world we see today with all its disease and suffering and viruses and, you know, bacteria that cause diseases. And it's only a minority of viruses and bacteria that do, by the way. Uh, but. Uh, this is a fallen world now because of our sin. So you can't explain the fossil record before sin. It has to come after sin. When you look at how massive it is all over the earth, sedimentary layers, and you look at the Bible, you say the flood of Noah's day, you look at the fossil record, of course, that makes sense. It's in most of it, it's the graveyard of the flood, not the graveyard of millions of years. Yeah, I mean, the number one philosophical question that um, non-believers will, you know, Put against uh, Christians and the church is if you've got such a loving God, you know, how come there's so much death and suffering and pain and, and, and so on in the world? And, uh, you know, this person has posed it as this pretend geology, you know, supposedly believing in a young earth and a global flood and all that stuff. But again, it, it's what I mentioned earlier. What do you give up by adopting the world's interpretation of those rock layers with all the record of death and suffering in there? You've got to believe that Jesus. The creator, as revealed in the book of Colossians, used billions of years of death and suffering and cancer, as you mentioned, to create, called it very good. Then the wages of sin is death. I mean, from dust you came, from dust you return, Adam. It wasn't just a spiritual death. It was a physical death as well. And, and, and you've given up all that theology when the Bible makes it so clear. And once you just swap the millions of years to the, oh, the vast majority of the fossil record got laid down or, and the rock layers got laid down in the global flood. It just fits together so beautifully. It doesn't mess up the theology. And certainly what we're discovering uh, in science supports what the scripture plainly says. So it's it's just a shame that many Christians um, have kind of adopted this compromised position. You know, um, Craig here made an interesting comment. I uh, said, first of all, Jesus was a young earth creationist long before Alan White started the Seventh Day Adventist. Well, that's true. I mean, if you go to Mark 10, 6, he says, um, Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, he made the male and female. Now, if the beginning was millions of years ago, that, that doesn't even make sense. So from the beginning of creation, he made the male and female means from the beginning of creation, when he made man, male and female, it had to be pretty close to the beginning. And actually it was because he began, well, uh, the universe began on day one when God created the space mass time continuum and he made the male and female from the beginning on day six. That's very close to the beginning. That makes sense of what Jesus is recorded as saying there as the God man in uh, Mark chapter 10. 
Yeah, I just noticed Samuel here mentioned uh, evolution eventually leads to atheism. And we do have another question we're going to get to specifically for you, Ken, but I just wanted to comment on it. You know, there's been kind of a spat recently. You've probably seen how several um, people who used to identify as Christians, there was a, a there was two guys that used to do kind of a talk show thing. And then we've had uh, some music artists and, and you've probably seen these things. I know you've covered them on the Facebook Live um, show that you guys do. And several of these people used to call themselves Christians and they've come out now as atheists. And it's so interesting. You look at this comment, evolution eventually leads to atheism. Well, not in all cases, but for these people to actually call themselves atheists today. I mean, there's all sorts of different types of atheists, but all atheists have to believe in three things, if nothing else. Number one, they don't believe in God, right? So they have to believe in evolution. If you're an atheist and you believe in evolution, you've got to believe in millions of years because you can't have evolution taking place quickly. That's called creation. So you have to believe in evolution. You have to believe in millions of years. And of course, if you're an atheist, you don't take the Bible as plainly written. Do you know how many Christians I've met all across Canada that believe all three of those things? I mean, you know, they get taught the story of, uh, of millions of years in geology. They, they accept secular interpretations of geology. Why wouldn't they accept secular interpretations of biology? And then, of course, they're not taking the Bible as plainly written. So there are many Christians that are out there that believe the fundamental tenets of what atheists have to believe. I've got to think that many of these people that used to call themselves Christians came to believe in evolution, and now they've swapped to atheism. I mean, you've got a long road to travel. You've got to accept all these things logically to give up faith in Christ and the Bible and to swap to atheism. You've got to start accepting evolution millions of years and an interpretation of Scripture that doesn't hold to a plain reading of it. And, and Calvin, uh, let me give this as a warning to the church. In America, and you know, we live in America, originally come from Australia. I notice there's some Australians watching, by the way, which is uh, fantastic because um, I always uh, uh, love hearing from people from my homeland. But in America, many of the leading atheists in atheist groups across America, many of them, you will find if you go and listen to their own testimonies, grew up in the church. And when you look at what they have written about themselves, invariably what, what they come up with is, yeah, but, you know, um, there was a tragedy in their life or there was um, death and suffering in their lives or uh, in some way there was someone with a horrible disease or, the, or they see horrible things in the world and they say, how can, how can uh, there be a God? And they grew up in the church and then because of science and so on, they said, you know, we were taught at school, we realized the Bible couldn't be true. You look at that in their own testimonies. And what you realize is an incredible failure of the church in our Western world. Now, don't get me wrong. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's God's church. But he is, I think he's really reproving and refining and, and, and the church right now with what's happening in our Western world. But the church didn't give them answers, didn't teach them apologetics. Most of, most of our church leaders, the majority, the majority of our Christian colleges, Bible colleges, seminaries, certainly the majority in America, and certainly that's true in, in Canada and, and Australia, it means it's really hard to find those that will stand on a literal genesis. I mean, there are some in America, and I'm sure there might be a couple in, in Canada, and uh, but the majority have compromised God's word in Genesis. And they didn't teach apologetics and didn't teach them to defend their faith, didn't teach them answers to what they're being taught at school or watching in the media. And didn't teach them, you know, death came after sin. This is a fallen world. And so how can we be a loving God? They, science has disproved the Bible. You know, we had all this lovely entertainment, sing, get up and, you know, jump around for a bit of church and all the rest of it. And now they walk away from the church. And I believe it's the church's fault as to what's happening in our Western world. When you see the collapse of the Christianized morality that once permeated the culture, I believe it's the church's fault because God's people didn't stand on God's word. We didn't raise up. The younger generations now we see them walking away from the church and church attendance is low look the church has to wake up think about this you've got to stand back and look and say wait a minute church attendance is nothing like it used to be in the western world and and look when the church is not impacting the culture like it should be and the culture has invaded the church surely church leaders should be saying what are, what's happened what have we done wrong what have not we done uh and and, and yet I find so many church leaders refuse to listen when we talk about your compromise in regard to the authority of the word of God. And, and let me put it to you in, in a way like this. Look, 
I was at a church a number of years ago and an elderly lady said to me, she said, look, Mr. Ham, I believe the gap theory because I was brought up with that, you know, in the Schofield Reference Bible. And, and, you know, I reminded her the notes in the Schofield Reference Bible are not inspired like the text. And as my father always taught me, the text should always be used as the commentary on the uninspired notes, okay? And, uh, you know, the infallible text should be used as a commentary on the fallible notes. And uh, she said, I believe the gap theory. And she said, so I believe in millions of years. And she said, but I know I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven. And I said, oh, I totally get it. I said, salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ, not on what you believe about the age of the earth. I, I understand that. You know, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And she said, well, it didn't affect my salvation. Why are you saying it matters for, but, you know, about whether we believe in millions of years and the gap theory? I said, it, it doesn't affect your faith in Christ in that sense or your salvation or the fact you know you're going to heaven. But you know what it does do? It, it, it's how it affects the generations you influence and how they view scripture itself. Because I said, here's what's happened. You unlock a door. Oh, we can take the millions of years, add in a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, or the days of creation, whatever. And along comes Darwin. Oh, we say God used evolution. And what, what, what happens is when you unlock that door that you don't take scripture as written and you don't have that foundational history for your worldview and you take ideas outside the scripture and take them to the scripture and start reinterpreting it, you know what the next generation do? You've just unlocked the door and opened it a little bit. They open it more and more and more and more. Now, go back and look at what's happened. In America, church attendance with the greatest generation was 56%. And then you come to the next generation, which are the silent generation, it was like 47%. And then you come to the baby boomers, it's like 32%. And then you come to generation X and it's 20, 20 plus percent. And then you come to Generation Y, the Millennials, and it's 18%. And then you come to Generation Z, they are twice as likely to be atheist as any previous generation. Researcher in America, George Barnes, says the first truly post-Christian generation. And you look, that door got opened wider and wider and wider and wider and wider because this is an authority issue. We're going to hammer that home with the church. It's not just a matter of who cares about millions of years, who cares whether you believe in evolution, trust in Jesus. The message of salvation, the message of Christianity comes from the word of God. And Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for the whole of the rest of the Bible and for all of our doctrines, for our whole Christian uh, worldview. And when you have allowed that to be undermined in people's, people's minds, then progressively subsequent generations start to give it up more and more and more. And as the, as the education system has become more atheistic, and the church keeps saying, trust in Jesus. You can believe what you believe there, but just trust in Jesus. Eventually, what happens is they walk away from the church and people. We are now suffering the consequences of a church that did not stand on the authority of the word of God boldly, uncompromisingly, and teach generations how to defend the Christian faith, answer the skeptical questions of the age, stand on that authority and equip them and help them understand what it's all about. Absolutely. I mean, in a sense, what what I see a lot of Christians doing, and, and I experienced this before I got saved, is they wanted to talk to me about Jesus. They wanted to talk to me about salvation and going to their church and maybe joining a Bible study and stuff. And I had the same questions that I answer with Answers in Genesis today as an atheist. So they wanted to talk to me about that. And, and I mentioned dinosaurs or the, you know, the big boat that supposedly got launched and stuff. And they'd be like, well, you know, that's not important. I just want to talk to you about Jesus. Well, it was important to me because I couldn't accept the credibility of, of the Bible because I thought it was just a bunch of fairy tales and there was no way to back it up. So for the Christians that I meet and they're sitting there going, ah, you know, this whole creation thing and Genesis and stuff like that, it's just no big deal. And of course, you don't want to be rude. But if, if there was like a little thought bubble that came up beside my head that you could read, it would say, oh, you aren't sharing the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> because well, if you were yeah. sharing the gospel, it'd be coming up. It comes up all the time when you share the share the gospel with people. You know, Kelvin. Uh, here's another point. When you ask Christians today, the average Christian, um, what uh, is uh, the gospel? When you ask them what is the gospel, um, then um, the, usually the answer is, well, it's a message. It's it's about Jesus dying on the cross and raised from the dead. 
And I will say, but uh, how can you understand the gospel if you don't understand what sin is or where it came from or why we're sinners? What do you mean Jesus died and rose from the dead? Why did he die for? We died for our sin. Where'd that come from? And why did you die anyway? Where'd death come from? What's that got to do with it? Unless you understand the foundational history in Genesis, you can't understand the gospel. And the point I make to people is this. Look, Christians say, look, most important thing is to go and get people saved. But they've got to know they're lost. And they've got to understand that. And increasingly, they don't. See, in Billy Graham's era, think about that. Billy Graham died, what, two years ago, just over two years ago. And I remember when he came to Australia, my father said he was the Bible says man. And his major message was the Bible says repent of your sin. The Bible says you're a sinner. The Bible says trust in Christ. The Bible says Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And, you know, it's true. In Australia in 1959, that first crusade, and in the 60s, thousands really committed their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is true. Um, but if you go to Australia today with the same message and an evangelist, you don't get anywhere near the response of the 50s and 60s. We haven't seen those big crusades in our present world like we did in the past with the Billy Graham crusades. Why is that? Because now we have generations who've been indoctrinated against the Bible. The Bible is just a book of mythology. Science has supposedly disproved the Bible. They don't even know what sin is. They, they, they've been taught evolution as fact that man can decide truth for himself. We have generations now, the best way to describe them is Judges 21, 25. When there's no king, when there's no absolute authority to tell them what to do, and they don't believe there is an absolute authority, then everyone does what is right in his own eyes. That's what we're seeing played out in our Western world right before our eyes. It doesn't mean it's the United Kingdom or Australia or Canada or America. And so you can't just go out today and say, you sin or repent of your sin. You, you know, when you look at what Paul did to the Greeks in Acts 17, they had no concept of a creator God. No concept about sin, Adam and Eve. They didn't have that foundation. So Paul had to start from the foundation to give them the right foundational history so they would understand the gospel. Our culture today is like the Greeks in Acts 17. Yet most of our churches use a method like Acts 2. Uh, and that's a method for an Acts 2 type culture when it's more of a Christianized culture where there's more of a respect for the Bible. And, you know, I put that in the book Gospel Reset. And we sent that to churches all across Canada. We had a supporter who paid for that to happen and all across America. And I tell you, many, many pastors in America, and I've heard for some in Canada too, say it's revolutionized the way they present the gospel, and the way they teach uh, people uh, in their churches. Absolutely. That Acts 2, Acts 17 comparison, that was one of the first talks I heard you do uh, probably 20 years ago as well. And again, it was just so thought provoking and I could really relate to it, especially with my background, not growing up, my parents, not Christians. Um, yeah, if you walked up to me and, and tried to talk to me about Jesus, I'm like, why, why are you telling me this story about some dead guy who came back to life when I know your Bible talks about, you know, this Adam and Eve situation and then, you know, uh, the flood and, and then I ask him about dinosaurs and most of them would just run away. It's so funny that you, you mentioned <laughs> the situation about people not really understanding the gospel because I actually had a, a situation within the last six weeks where someone in my church, a millennial, um, you know, lamenting, oh, you know, it just seems so concerning that many Christians don't even understand the gospel. And I said, oh, okay, well, tell me what the gospel is. And he said, well, Jesus saves you from your sins. I said, okay, where, where did sin come from? Um, um, from? From Adam, I guess. I said, yeah. And I walked through the whole thing and I said, what about evolution in millions of years? He was very comfortable with evolution in millions of years. And I, and I said, well, then there was death before Adam sinned. Well, and you know, just just kind of floaty kind of theology wasn't able to connect all those those types of things, and yet here he is concerned about uh, not people not understanding the gospel when he himself doesn't really hold to uh, you know a really solid uh, biblical worldview to be able to answer that. So anyway, we've been chatting for a while. Let me get to another question here, unless you've uh, got something specific you wanted to mention. Um, this is from YouTube, uh, Nicholas. Uh, as the literal facts of Genesis chapter one is God voicing spiritual facts via physical reality. Isn't acknowledging both the literal and symbolic key to refuting the solely symbolic interpretation. So um, you can see it up on the screen there probably can. I, I think you can kind of get the gist of where uh, Nicholas is, is coming from here. What do, you, what do you say when somebody says, well, isn't Genesis just a spiritual truth rather than physical reality? Uh, what happened there? So if it's a spiritual truth, then the Bible doesn't give us an account of where we came from. Um, and not only that, 
you know, Jesus in the New Testament, when he's asked about marriage, haven't you read? He which made the beginning made the male and female. That's Genesis chapter 1. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And you see, if you think about it, how can somebody give spiritual, something give spiritual truth or give symbolic truth? It's, it's, it's a question there, symbolic key. Something can't be symbolic until it first has a literal meaning. You, you think about that in regard to the days. People say, oh, the word day is just symbolic in Genesis chapter 1. How can it be symbolic if it doesn't have a literal meaning? See, if you look in the New Testament, when you look at Jesus using parables, for instance, when he says, I am the door, we know the word door has a literal meaning, so we know what that means when he says, I am the door. Or, you know, we are like sheep. Well, there's literally sheep, and so we know what that or what that means. Uh, or the bread of life or whatever it is. But but you've got to have a literal meaning first. And if we don't have a physical origin of the universe, then if, if Genesis is not literal history, then then there was no literal fall. If there's no literal fall, what does sin mean? You define it however you want. But no, you, if you define it according to the literal event, it was a rebellion against uh, God, a literal rebellion against a holy God. And we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. I mean, if that's not literal, then where do we come from? If if, if there's no literal Adam and Eve, who are we? Where'd we come from? Then then how, why should we even believe the gospel? And, you know, wh why should we? What does it mean that Jesus is the last Adam? Was he literal too? If the first Adam wasn't literal, is the last Adam literal? I mean, it, it all becomes nonsense when you when you say it's just spiritual truth or, you know, symbolic or something like that. And, you know, yeah. um, um, Calvin, I would encourage people, look, when the borders of Canada are open and other countries too, we have people right now, flocking uh, to the Ark and the Creation Museum. When they come to the Ark and the Creation Museum, what we do is what I believe the church should be doing and should always be doing. We're walking people through the whole Bible. We're giving them the history, teaching them the doctrines that come out of that. We're teaching apologetics. We have all these exhibits that answer all these questions. And then we present the gospel uh, based in real history. You know, as I say to people, we need to present the gospel the way God did it in the Bible by starting at the beginning. Genesis is the foundational for the gospel. If Genesis is, is just symbolic, then Genesis 3.15 actually is, the, is, is God promising a savior. So is Genesis 3.21, which is the first blood sacrifices are covering for their sin, God instituting the sacrificial system. It's why we wear clothes. God gave clothes because of sin. I mean, again, you get rid of the, that as literal history, then you've got no foundation for anything. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for the Christians that are arguing, well, you know, Genesis, it's, it's close enough. It's kind of like evolution. It doesn't have to be exactly right. You know, the analogy I would use is um, we have Kijiji up here. I don't know what you have down there as far as like a buy and sell online program. But, you know, I tell people, look, if I um, put an ad out, right, and, and I'm selling a car and I say, well, it's a, it's a blue Ford Taurus. It's uh, 2016. Uh, it's got 80,000 clicks on it, blah, blah, blah. And you come to view my car and really it's a red Honda Civic. It's 2001 and it's got 350,000 kilometers on it. And I say to you, well, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, it'll get you from point A to point B and it's kind of, you know, I mean, really the, the general gist of my ad was correct. I mean, how much are you going to trust me <laughs> with anything? And really that's what it comes down to. If we can't take the Bible as plainly written in Genesis, which is what the Christians and, and the majority of uh, Orthodox Jews did for, for you know, literally 1,800 years un until this, these ideas of million years and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you look up the old commentaries, you didn't get the hypothesis. Everybody knew what Genesis meant, right, for the most part. The vast majority of Christians knew what it meant. So those ideas obviously come from outside of scripture, not the plain reading. Calvin, somebody here said, uh, what about all the other cultures that have similar stories, but not the same stories? You know, um, at the Ark Encounter on deck three, we have exhibits uh, about flood legends because there are flood legends in cultures all over the world. And when you look at them, the elements sound sort of similar uh, to Genesis. I mean, the Australian Aboriginal people had stories about a flood and three sons on a boat or on a raft, actually, and it landed on a mountain and God put a rainbow in the sky and, and so it goes on. But when you look at all of those stories or the Babylonian uh, account uh, uh, stories and so on as well, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh and so on, but when you look at all those and you compare them to the biblical account, the biblical account reads as a real account. I mean, the, the size of the ship. I mean, some of these others have, you know, a raft or some round 
boat or some other small boat or canoe or something like that or God's cutting each other in half or water spewing out or what you read the biblical account it sounds like the original and what we would say is yes God has preserved his word and that is the original preserved in God's word and the others are similar because it's sort of like you know that telephone um, fun uh, example I gave where you know someone gives you a message you say it to a person you say it to a person by the time it gets to someone 30 people away it's very different you might have some elements that were there but very different well that's what's happened over the years because of the Tower of Babel is people moved away from each other they took these uh, stories with them and they change them and you know over time you know people's rebellion against God and so on they become all sorts of you know elaborate stories that sort of thing but the real record God has preserved in his word and so uh, that's what we've got to understand and so it's the same for creation uh, legends and uh, uh, You know even Tower of Babel legends that are out there in different cultures Yes, it's very interesting to me that you know in all of these cultures across the world. They have this flood story uh, Many with you know many similarities to Genesis and you know, it's never a great hurricane. It's never a great tornado It's never a great forest fire or or anything like this. It's always a great flood and many times, of course, you've got the account of the animals coming on and, and, and so on. I remember the first time I went to Mexico, and I'm not one of these sit-on-the-beach kind of guys, so I, I found a bookstore pretty quickly. <laughs> My wife wasn't happy. But anyway, I came across the Maya sacred writings called the Popol Vuh, and I started reading it. It was very interesting because it, it started off, and there was one god, but there was three of them, and they talked to each other, and then the, the evil god came along, and then they had this uh, story of, of, of these several creations of men, and then the second creation of man were the wooden men, and they became evil and wicked and were wiped out in a great flood, and then there was the corn man, and um, they knew about people from across the sea, and then finally, by the time their culture you know collapses, they're sacrificing their kids to the great plumed serpent. Um, Quite interesting, but you know, it, it started off very much like that Genesis narrative, and then of course trickles off, and of course that would be because people would carry that information from the Tower of Babel, and as the people groups spread out, so they, they carried that information. But yeah, um, hey, 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 Calvin, let me just say too, because I know we're basically out of time, but um, you know, we have the question and answer time, right? As I've traveled all over the world in the past 40 years, people have asked the same basic questions. You know, how do you know there's a God? Where did God come from? How did Noah get the animals on the ark? Where did Cain get his wife? What about the races of people? Where did the flood waters come from? And how could the flood lay down all those sediments? And uh, what about natural selection? And so it goes on. Yeah. Well, we have a set of books. There's four answers books. You can go to answersingenesis.org. And we have a, a store in Canada, a store in the United Kingdom, a store in Australia. And of course, our store here in the United States, so you can select which country, but uh, the answers books, and these are available uh, electronically as well. You can uh, uh, download them electronically for you know your iPad or whatever you have off your tablet. But the four answers books, and then another book called The Flood of Evidence, which we call our fifth answers books, 160 of the most asked questions with the detailed answers. I encourage people to get those. And also my book, The Lie, is really, other than the Bible, the Bible is the textbook of our ministry. The lie is really what we've been talking about today. And it is really um, a challenge to the church. It's really the message of Answers in Genesis, Ark Encounter, Creation Museum, uh, to stand on a literal Genesis and to stop compromising and all our doctrines and so on. I, I encourage every Christian uh, to read that. And we also have an Answers book set for kids mm. because kids have the same questions and they yeah. doubt uh, exactly uh, the same way. And so... I, um, I encourage people to go to answersgenesis.org, our website. And if you want to find out about our, our attractions, of course, you can go there from answersgenesis.org, but we have the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. You can just Google them or go to arkencounter.com. It's probably easy to remember. We have creationmuseum.org, but you can get to them from either one. So arkencounter.com, find out all the details and uh, what's happening there, answersgenesis.org. And I encourage Canadians to get in touch with Calvin and churches, whereas you open up to have him uh, speak uh, there across Canada. Calvin's a great speaker, and you have a, a young lady now with you as well uh, that's part of Answers and Genesis up there, Patricia. Man, she's a fireball. She is. Uh, and she's, she's writing a, a tremendous book at, at the present time, and she's uh, just great for dealing with all these issues. And uh, I, I just appreciate what you're doing there in Canada, uh, Calvin. 
Well, thanks, Ken. And I, I appreciate you mentioning the resources because I can honestly say I, I am very much a product of the Answers in Genesis ministry. I remember just getting my faith just totally lit on fire um, when I when I encountered, you know, it was it was your talk. I don't know if you remember the one it was called Reclaiming the Culture. Um, it was the talk where you, you started off and you said, you know, somebody introduced you. He looks like Crocodile or sounds like Crocodile Dundee and looks like Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> remember that talk. And I'll yeah. tell you, I think it was about an hour and 20 minutes. And I sat down and I watched that talk. And when it was over, it was like, that's what the Lord used to inspire me to become an apologist and to actually carry this message out. Um, and then I dove into those resources. I mean, I read the lie and it was just boom, you know. And we're so excited that you were able to do that talk this morning. Because as I listened in, you know, I've heard you speak many times, but boy, it, it, it was such a great talk that what we've decided to do, we've had so many people reach out to us and say, hey, you know, uh, our church didn't didn't run it or that didn't work for us at this time or, or whatever, that we're actually going to, um, to do a Facebook uh, presentation of that talk. So, you know, individuals that couldn't get connected can actually see it because I, I think it was one of your best. It was it was fantastic. And then afterwards, uh, I'll do a bit of a Facebook live presentation just to let people know about what the Answers in Genesis Canada uh, ministry is doing here, our initiatives, our uh, projects and, and our future plans and stuff like that as well. So I don't want to keep you any longer, brother. I, I do well, appreciate your time. Kelvin, one other thing, maybe we'll uh, also put that up, that talk. We, You know, we have our own streaming service now, Answers.tv. Yeah. People in Canada can get it. it. It's available anywhere in the world. It yeah. works out that if you subscribe for a year, just over $3 US a month. We already have 2,000 programs on there now, and we're putting more on daily. Our conferences in the future will be live streamed there. You've got material up on there. There'll be other material from Canada and conferences go up on there. We've had music on there. We've got nature programs from a creationist perspective. Yep. It is incredible. It's web-based. Right now it's web-based. Yep. I mean, watch it on your smartphone or your tablet or, you know, computer. But by July 4, 2020, by July 4, 2020, We'll have all the apps for Roku, for uh, your Google devices, for Apple TV and so on. And people yeah. can get a seven day free trial. And we have a, a free conference up on there right now on One Race, One Blood. If you want to go and watch that, you can do that free for a limited time. Yeah. I encourage people, get the streaming service and you'll see more of the Canadian material up on there as well. Answers.tv. It's phenomenal. The Lord has allowed us to have that. Absolutely. Okay, Ken, uh, we didn't get to everybody's questions. I'm sorry about that. It's just the nature of, of, of these things. But please go to answersingenesis.org. There's a ton of information there, a ton of free articles. You can look it up. And, uh, and Ken, thanks once again. We appreciate your time, brother. Uh, hopefully, we will see you next year at our Answers Foundation Conference in Kitchener, Ontario, on the Labor Day long weekend. So anybody... Hopefully, they'll have the border open by then. <laughs> by the way, Calvin... Somebody okay. asked the question, does Answers TV work in Europe? Yes, it works anywhere in the world, yeah. anywhere in the world. But anyway, so this conference is when again? It's going to be the Labor Day long weekend next year um, in Kitchener, Ontario at Bingham's Park. So, yeah, we've got you and there's going to be six other speakers. It's going to be our uh, kind of our flagship conference of the year. Uh, we were going to do that, of course, this year and then COVID hit but we have rescheduled next year. And I've confirmed that with uh, with one of the folks that works with you down there that you are available, apparently. <laughs> so let's hope nothing else happens. And uh, we're looking forward to that because there was many people that were disappointed that we had to cancel. Okay, thank you. We'll see you live up there then. Yeah. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.